Well, there's a lot going on today. I do remember back, it was in 19, uh, 1980, February, I quit my job, full-time secular employment that I was involved in, to launch out into the Lord's service, being burdened to do that. I'd only been saved a little less than two years, and so I had a very rapid transition, and providentially, God made uh, a way for that to take place uh, in service to Him in a very localized capacity at first, without any thought of ever going beyond the borders of the local assembly that I was involved in in Jacksonville at the time. And then, gradually, over the years, the Lord moved uh, the boundaries out a little bit more, um, I was actually commended in 1982, although I had been out serving the Lord full-time for two years, but because I hadn't been saved that long and I felt folks didn't know me that well, we delayed the commendation for a couple of years until I could, I feel, I felt, build some credibility uh, among the people of God, you know, as far as my testimony was concerned. It was a very exciting time for us, a time that... Um, we were young and newly married and kids on the way and uh, learning to trust the Lord and learning what that meant. Wanda and I, uh, I'd gone to Wanda. She had a pretty good job back then at a doctor's office. And I had said to her, I think you should quit your job. And she said, why? And I said, well, you know, uh, I just think we should be in this together. I didn't have any rule book or playbook to go by, so I mean, I just, you know, was before the Lord constantly to seek His face and His will about what and how to do things. So I know we made a lot of mistakes along the way and certainly didn't set a pattern that could be perfectly followed. But very early on in our Christian experience uh, of the two years or so that we'd been uh, serving the Lord there, of course, we got married in 1979, quit my job in 1980, so we'd only been married about six months then. But we committed to the Lord just before Him that if we were going to serve the Lord, we were never going to ask anybody for anything. We weren't going to publish letters of appeal, asking for money, or making our needs known. It was our conviction that God would take care of us, and that if we made our needs known only to Him, and then those needs were supplied, then we would know it was the Lord that had done it. It was would not be our salesmanship or our ability to create or craft, you know, a letter or anything like that. Um, I understand, having been saved a number of years now, there are different uh, approaches to that subject. I know good and godly people who do approach it differently, but this was our conviction, and um, so that's what we sought to do. And, uh, of course, when you set out to do that, it's going to be tested, and it has been over the years, but not any credit whatsoever to us and not a pat on the back to us in any kind of way, but in 30-plus uh, years, we, by the grace of God, have never missed a bill We've never been late on a bill. Uh, we've come down to the wire many times, and God has marvelously supplied, and I could spend the rest of the time, which I won't do, giving you times when the Lord has supplied in such a very 
specific and unique way that it was unquestionably the hand of God that had done it. And it's happened so many times, I hope I never take it for granted. But um, it is a double-sided coin in that sense, isn't it? It takes the exercise of the individual to be burdened to go out into the Lord's work and trust Him to meet those needs. It takes the exercise of the Lord's people to be burdened to take care of those who are commended to the Lord's work in that full-time capacity. And so over the years, we have always found God's people to be very generous, very gracious, and very giving, for which we are very thankful. Um, And we know that when we receive fellowship or gifts from folks, it uh, always reminds us it's in a sense coming from the heart of God through the hands of his people, and then we are the recipients. So we're very thankful, and we take it as a tremendous responsibility as well. Um, I'm not going to belabor things very long, but since today is a little bit different, uh, and I've been given liberty to go at least two minutes over, we, um, I'll just tell you one story, and it happened while we were at Camp Horizon, most of you know that we were at Camp Horizon as a family from 1993 to 1996. I sometimes jokingly say, although it wasn't a real joke, that we went for six months and stayed for three years. And uh, camp was going through a lot of difficult things financially and other ways at the time. But um, the Lord still continued to teach us lessons. We stepped in to help out, uh, never intending to be there full time, believing that what we're doing now and what I do is what really the Lord had called me to, but sort of a temporary transitional phase of life for us, and hopefully it was a time that proved to be a blessing to the ministry at Camp Horizon as well. But we used to have a group that comes, I guess they still come, the sowers, servants on wheels, ever ready. It's a group of retired folks that have their own RVs, and they go around the country from different, to different camps and ministries and help out and volunteer their time. And, and they've done a tremendous amount of work at Camp Horizon. I mean, all sorts of heavy physical labor and things that were well beyond their skills. Well, not beyond their skill set, but beyond what their uh, job description would entail, being retired folks who went to serve and help around camp. Well, anyway, um, they used to have a, a uh, retreat where they would have a reunion of these different folks who were involved in the ministry. And so they would pick a different camp at different times of the year. And they did a couple of things there. One, one thing they did was they did, a, they did their own sort of a gag auction type thing so they could raise money to support their own ministry. They don't take any money from anybody. Uh, they support themselves, and they pay for their way as they go, and then they work for you. So... Um, they had approached me about having one of their retreats and reunions there at Camp Horizon. I said, well, how many people are we talking about? And they said, well, we'll probably have probably, you know, 175, 180 people come. We'll probably have close to 80 or 90 RVs. And uh, I'm starting to think of the logistics of this thing. And I'm like, look, you park them. You know the facility. You know the capacity. You take care of it. What do you want from us? They said, well, it's going to be a three- or four-day thing. Uh, If you could just provide 
the coffee. We drink an enormous amount of coffee. And if you could provide the beverages for some of our potluck dinners, that's really all. And maybe do one meal for a banquet. I said, that's great. Uh, we'd be glad to do it. You folks are a ministry. And then he said, how much will you charge us? I said, what do you mean charge you? The work you people have done? I'm not going to charge you anything. He said, we can't do that. And I said, what do you mean you can't do it? I said, all this work that you've done around this place, how, how is it possible for me to charge you to come to have what you're going to do for your reunion and your retreat? And he says, well, I just, he says, I just don't think it's right. And I said, listen, you've done such a service. You folks just come. Let us know what we can do. We want to try to be a service to you. So they came. And they did their thing, and they drank their coffee, enormous amounts, and they had their auction. And so they called me and Billy into the chapel after they'd had uh, some of their things going on, and they made a big speech and a big deal about, you know, us letting them come there for camp and all. And they said, you know, they wouldn't take any money for this. They said, but, you know, we did drink a lot of coffee, and we just want to give you something for the coffee. And he handed me an envelope which I went back to the office and counted, and it was over $4,000. And it was more than what it would have been had I charged them to come. And that was just one of the lessons, you know, not expecting anything. But these people so thankful at the grace that had been shown to them that they responded in like kind. And more than had I charged them a certain set fee or something. So when they got ready to come the next year, I said, don't worry about a charge, just pay for the coffee. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) it's an exciting thing and exciting times, and I sometimes hesitate. I look at Tim and Yoli, and I think, you know, we went out, launched out into the Lord's service, trust in the Lord. Our needs were small. We had a uh, one-bedroom, three-room little apartment, and uh, I'll never forget, Wanda and I got married, and I told Wanda before we got married, remember we'd been married about six months now, I said, you know, we're not even going to get married until that debt that's hanging over our head is dealt with. She'd had some credit cards. I mean, where I was, they didn't have credit cards. And um, so uh, she had these credit, this credit card debt, and I said, until that debt issue is resolved, we are not going to get married with debt hanging over our head like that. And until that $80 is paid off, we're not getting married. (laughs) Because that's what the total was on all the credit cards she had. So our needs were very simple. Um, And I look at Tim and Yoli, and I think, you know, he's been living at a certain level. Uh, My nickname for him seems to have stuck, ex-fed. And, you know, that in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, we were here, but maybe, but listen, God is the same, and he hasn't changed. And the evidence of trust in him like that will be a testimony and a proof to God's faithfulness, not to yours or mine, but to his faithfulness and to the faithfulness of his people. So let's open up to the book of Proverbs, and you might think, well, it's okay to have a kind of a scattered message today since the book of Proverbs is kind of scattered. But one of the things that we've looked at Friday night and yesterday morning in our study of the book of Proverbs, is to realize that though the Proverbs have been described as a book that's filled with snapshots or a random slideshow, uh, 
one of the unique books of the Bible in the sense that Proverbs has mostly stand-alone verses. You don't have to worry about taking them out of context. You can just jump in and grab one anywhere, and it stands on its own. So that's different from the Word of God. Uh, That primarily takes place after you get to chapter 10. Chapters 1 through 9, on the other hand, run a consistent theme, at least a repeated theme, uh, throughout the first nine chapters. As the writer to the Proverbs, in the initial setting, Solomon, the son of David, writes and instructs his son. He will say over and over, my son, as he does in verse 10, and as he does in verse 8, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. So at the initial setting, in the initial setting, it's a father writing to his son to give him instruction. Now, one of the questions that we went over a little bit yesterday, uh, not in great detail, was to ask the question, at least I was asked the question, what were my thoughts about the timing of the writing of the book of Proverbs, not the aspect of the timing that I mentioned uh, of when the period of time before the kingdom split, but in the sense of when did Solomon write these? Probably generally, most people feel that he wrote this earlier in life. Remember, to to Solomon was granted wisdom such as no man on the earth had ever had before. The scripture says he wrote thousands of Proverbs. They're not all recorded here for us. So generally, the thinking is that he wrote these before his life took a serious nosedive. But there is a school of thought that suggests that perhaps Solomon wrote these later in life. After he had departed from the truth of God and looked back upon his life at the mistakes he made, and then in writing to his son, seeks to help him to avoid those same mistakes. That may well be true. In the first case, you have a man who didn't listen to his own advice if he wrote these things before his life uh, took a tragic turn away from the things of God and the truth of God. And the second, you have a man looking back on life as he has lived life and instructing his son, and by extension, the Spirit of God instructing us about some of the things we are to avoid in life, dangers along the path, and other things that will help us to live the life that God wants us to live. I'm not sure exactly which way it is. There are, there are those two schools of thought at least. And so uh, we come to a book that has been said may be short in words but is long in experience. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. And just listen to the beginning here in chapter 1, what is offered. To know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. And in verse 6, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. So you begin to think of these really, uh, I don't know what we call them, lofty terms, wisdom, instruction, knowledge, wise dealings, remembering that as we noted Friday night among our young people, the subject matter that's covered by the book of Proverbs 
uh, covers, it covers almost every aspect of life. It talks about husbands and wives. It talks about children and parents. It talks about how to discipline our children. It talks about what happens if we don't discipline our children. It talks about our relationship with the Lord. It talks about our finances. It talks about how we function in business. It talks about how we deal with our neighbors. It talks about uh, war. It talks about work ethic. It talks about whether you're lazy or not. And so it covers all these different aspects of life. It's very unique in that sense. Um, it, it deals with so many different areas of life. And then uh, it gets down to this core thing that you find in verse 7, and it'll actually say that in this verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction, which is going to be repeated in chapter 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And so it comes full circle from chapter 1 to chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And that keys us into this basic, fundamental concept that's found in the book of Proverbs of wisdom. You might go through on your own sometime and just mark or highlight the word wisdom and wise as it's found throughout this book, and it is woven throughout the chapters of this book. There is a wisdom that is offered that begins at this principal, core, foundational thing. That's what it means in verse 7 when it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning. This is the principal thing. This is the starting place. This is foundational. If you don't get this, you're not going to get in on the rest of it. And so it's a foundational thing, a core thing, the first step, the starting gate, the entrance, entrance place into the, uh, the avenues of wisdom that are available. There is a wisdom that is available that will tell you how to live your life in all of these different aspects. Now, just at a basic level, Jamel, thank you. I knew you were headed, bro. Thank you for your thoughtfulness. There is a wisdom that is available to enable us to live life at these in all of these different vital relationships. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I said is helpful to think of wisdom as is in this aspect, wisdom seeing things as God sees them. So the writer of the Proverbs is going to offer you a wisdom that enables you to see things as God sees them. And when you see things as God sees them, to begin to approach life in that way, and live it out in your experience, then that is what the Bible calls and what the book of Proverbs says is a wise person. We noted also in our study, and I'm just sort of in re-emphasizing uh, some of these, which the writer of the Proverbs will also do, that you can be a, an intellectually uh, vastly superior person to most of us in the world. You can have a tremendous amount of knowledge and know a whole lot of facts and a whole lot of trivia, and maybe even a whole lot of important stuff, and not be a wise person. The Bible, as a matter of fact, will call you a fool. Because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. In other words, it begins with entering into that basic relationship with God Himself. And until a person enters by that gate of the fear of the Lord, 
What is the fear of the Lord? Define the fear of the Lord as submission to the Lord's authority, placing ourselves under the Lord's authority, respect for God's authority. And until I come and submit myself under His authority, then I'm never going to enter in to the wisdom that is available that enables me to live life as God sees it. The word wisdom is defined for us in the Scripture, both in Exodus chapter 28 and Exodus chapter 31. Uh, There we find that the workman who did the actual construction of the garments for the high priest and of the features of the tabernacle, God put his spirit of wisdom in them. Same word that's used. And so wisdom in this context is a skill or an ability to do something. And when you couple that with the book of Proverbs, which touches on all these different aspects of life, I would label the book of Proverbs this way, uh, the skill or the ability to live life, or how to live life skillfully. What do we mean by skillfully? How to live life skillfully, because you're living life as God sees it. Let me just pass on this one other thing to you. This is an amazing thing to me, that the infinite God who created the universe in which we dwell and who maintains the order of this universe in which we live, who causes all of the galaxies and everything else to function in absolute harmony, who's in control of all these things, is a God who is concerned with what I do to my neighbor, with how I treat my wife with how I raise my kids, when how, as a child, I respond to my parent, what I do in my business, what I do with my money, what I say with my mouth, what I watch with my eyes, what I listen to with my ears. God, the infinite God, is concerned with every aspect of my life. That is an overwhelming thought to me. Why would he even care? I'm like an ant, in a sense, when I think about it, in this, uh, a little speck in the universe, uh, insignificant almost, and yet not to God. Not only that, the God who cares about my finances, my life, my relationships, my money, my business dealings, and all the rest, well, we know from the New Testament, don't we, is a God who loved me enough to send His Son to die for me. To offer me life that is described in the full-orbed sense of dealing with my past, my present, and my future in a language that's similar to the book of Proverbs. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness that takes care of the guilt of my sin and takes care of my past sanctification that takes care of my present and teaches me how to live for God, and redemption when he comes back to claim the purchased possession. It takes care of my past, my present, and my future, all encompassed now, not just in a concept anymore, but in wisdom found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all that becomes available to us if we enter in through the gate of the fear of the Lord. Wisdom gives the ability to apply eternal truth to our lives. 
Wisdom is the skill or the ability to see things as God sees them and to live life as God would have us to live under the authority of the Lord. Now, you notice in chapter 1, you, you get in on all these things, and it's so critical because here he's talking to a young man. Of course, we make the application to young ladies. We make the application to us wherever we are. But one, one thing we noted in chapter 1 is that there are two ways that are presented to us here, two paths, if you will, or two roads. It's almost like you come to a fork in the road, and on one of those you have in verse 10 sinners who are enticing you to come and to do that which is contrary to the will of God. But then a beautiful thing takes place. Right after they make their offer and say, hey, if you come with us, this is what you'll get, this is what you'll gain out of it, we have what we noted uh, in verse 20, wisdom now personified as a person. And she stands at the very crossroads of life and says at that intersection, before you can turn down either one of these paths, don't go down that way of the sinner, follow me. And if you'll follow me, this is what will be available to you. And young people today who are facing school, some of you tomorrow, some of you classes later, and life and relationships and all the rest, how important it is to get hold of this. That wisdom offers to you all of the things that are expressed in those first few verses. How to make the right choices. How to make good decisions. What is just and equitable and judgment and instruction and shrewdness. All that's offered to you. Wisdom cries out in the open place and says, come this way. But you see... On the one hand, you've got the sinners enticing. On the other hand, you've got wisdom calling out. Which way will you go? Whose is the choice? The choice is yours. Which path will you take? Because the writer of the Proverbs wants to remind you something. You can choose this path the way of sinners, but if you do, well, it's good to know up front what you're getting into, isn't it? It's good to know up front, if you're going to take a road, it's nice not to drive 20 miles down that road only to realize that the bridge is out and you can't get any further. It's nice to know that ahead of time, isn't it? I mean, sometimes these signs on the road may be a little bit annoying, but not always because sometimes I look and I see the sign flashing, traffic stopped up ahead, hour and 45-minute delay. I want to know that when I'm on the turnpike so I can get off and go another way. I don't want to go through that mess if I can avoid it, which is sometimes unavoidable. And so if you follow the path of sinners, here's where it's going to take you. Remember this. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. And so the writer is up front with the Son. When you turn to chapter 4, for instance, as he continues this theme of wisdom, he will say this, uh, My son, follow down the path of wisdom. Don't enter in, in verse 14, to the path of the wicked. Don't go to the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn away from it, pass away. 
And in chapter 5, in verse 6, uh, verse 5, he says, Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. This is where this will lead you. But on the other hand, if you embrace wisdom, and if you go that way, well, in verse 18 of chapter 4, the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And so, the two paths that are before us, it's the stuff that life is made of. Which way will you choose? Which way will you go? And you know, if it's a beautiful thing to think of wisdom as it is pictured here in the book of Proverbs, described in a feminine gender as a woman who stands appealing to you to come and to come this way. Don't be seduced by the way of the world. Don't be seduced by what's called the strange woman. Don't be seduced by the sinners that entice you. But now look at the beauty of wisdom. Look at all she has to offer. The writer of the Proverbs says she will crown your life. She will bless your life. She will endue your life with good things and rich things. And years of years will be years. Quality of life. Quantity of life. And in the end, life with God. The two ways that are before us. Think of it again. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom implants herself right there where all the roads, at the head of the roads. It says in verse 21 or 22 there in chapter 1, the chief place of the concourse. Right there where all the roads take their direction. She stands there and says, come this way. If that is a beautiful thing to behold, think of wisdom incarnate in the person of the Lord Jesus who came down into this world and walked among humanity, men and women, moved among them and stood before them and said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. Follow this way. And He still does today. And the beauty of it is, even in this Old Testament concept, wisdom personified, it's not just a static, abstract thing. Wisdom, look at the language even of chapter 4 of what he will say about wisdom. He says uh, in chapter 4, verse 13, take fast hold of instruction, let her not go, keep her, for she is thy life. He says in verse 6, forsake her not, she shall preserve thee, love her. Exalt her in verse 8. Embrace her. He makes it a personal thing, doesn't he? A relational thing. And so it is with the Lord Jesus. You know, that's the path that is offered in the book of Proverbs. Now, one of the things that we noticed in chapter 2 yesterday, in re, uh, and, and looking at these things again a little bit, just to re reemphasize them and to review them, that in chapter 2, the language changes. In chapter 1, wisdom cries out. In chapter 2 and verse 3, it says this. And you notice the conditional words that are used in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4 of chapter 2. The conditional word, if. If you will do this. Now comes your part. Wisdom stands and cries out in chapter 1. Now the seeker comes in chapter 2, and that one cries out for wisdom, and when the two of them meet, it's going to be a beautiful thing. 
Instruction will take place. Learning will take place. Life will take place. And the results of what happens when those two meet, if you look for her, if you seek her as for silver, if you search for her as for hid treasures, if you apply your heart to understanding, if you incline your ear unto wisdom, because by the way, he wants to remind you, out of the mouth of the Lord, the very mouth of the Lord, the Lord gives wisdom, chapter 2 and verse 6, and out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, and he lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walketh uprightly. He wants to remind you that the wisdom he's talking about is not just man's wisdom in all of its shortcomings. It's not just a massing of facts. It comes from the very mouth of God Himself communicated to you and me. We now have it in a book. And God offers that wisdom. He wants you to live your life in the biblical sense successfully. He wants your life not to become a train wreck. He wants your life not to become a disaster. But you're going to have to seek for it, He says. And you're going to have to do your part in that sense. And you're going to have to apply your ear... Because guess what? Your ear and my ear want to turn away, don't they? And so we have to be diligent to turn our ear towards it as an act of the will, an act of determination in that sense, to turn towards the truth. In other words, command your intake. Control your intake. If you don't do that. And so the balance that's seen between wisdom's part in chapter 1 and then the seekers part in chapter 2 who then come together. And once that occurs, the results that take place indicated in chapter 2 by the word then. Verse 5, then verse 9, that verse 20, and when verse 10 of chapter 2. But then he adds something else in chapter 3. Once that's taken place, don't forget. Don't forget. The tendency is to think, I've nailed it, you see. I got it down now. I set her on cruise control. I'm good to go. Don't forget. Because of the tendency to forget. Watch what he says in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 4, Let thy heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Chapter 4, verse 6, Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Chapter 4, verse 8, Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. Verse 13, take fast hold, don't let her go, she is thy life, keep her. And verse 23, guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Don't let it go. Hold fast to it, in that sense. How do you do that? Well, we won't take the time to elaborate on it, but one of the things that's interesting about Proverbs is, um, I like to ask people what their favorite proverbs are. Usually I find most folks have at least one proverb that's a, that's a favorite. Um, I've got one that I am increasingly more appreciative of as the days go by. And my daughter-in-law back in 2005, by the way, you folks that have children and maybe have uh, parents who are now grandparents, we grandparents, you know, we appreciate things like this. Um, she made me this nice calendar in 2005 that had Elliot and Elaine on it back then, uh, six years ago, and uh, has their picture on it, of course. And on the bottom of it, 
Proverbs 17, 6. Children's children are the crown of old men. Children's children. That's grandchildren. The crown of old men. That's your glory, you see. And so it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? God says so. Remember that. <laughs> so that's one of my favorites. Anybody here have a favorite in chapter 3? Anybody here favorite Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's a favorite for a lot of folks, isn't it? And that's the key to keeping these things and holding fast to these things and living in these things. Our confidence in God, not in our own understanding, acknowledging Him in all of our ways that Christ is Lord over every aspect of our life. I repeat that, that there's no area of life that I do not allow the Lord Jesus to control that I don't have these areas of life that somehow I want to reserve just for me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, that Christ is Lord over every aspect of my life. Easier said than done. A battle. And yet... And then in all your ways acknowledge Him, and then this takes place. He will direct your paths. How do I know what to do, which way to go, what choice to make? Well, if it's not something clearly outlined as morally wrong or scripturally wrong, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is the Romans 12, 1 and 2 of the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths into the path of wisdom that shines brighter and brighter for the just and leads to heaven and glory and home with Christ, as opposed to the way of sinners, which leads to destruction and loss of life and loss of wealth, health, well-being, peace, and leads to the path of hell. So the writer of the Proverbs brings it before us very graphically and very clearly, the decisions that are there. Which path are you on? Which path will you choose? Which path have you taken? Which one will you take? Let's look to him in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And we trust the Spirit of God to take it and use it in a way that only he can. We are incapable in ourselves of accomplishing anything spiritual in that sense. But we have great confidence in your word. We have great confidence in the Spirit of God taking that word and speaking to us individually. We thank you for your your concern for us in every aspect and area of our lives. These Proverbs, this Old Testament book written during the period of the law, will still tell us, everyone that is a son, the father, chastens because he loves them. It expresses the intimacy of that relationship, a love relationship, even under the covenant of the law. And because you care for us in our child rearing, our instruction, our upbringing, you don't want us to get down those paths that will lead us in the wrong way and destroy us. You want us to follow in that which is right and good and the path of blessing. 
Help, we pray. Help the young people that are here. Preserve them from the way of the evil. Keep their feet in the right path, we pray. And if they haven't gotten into that path yet, we pray they'd come by way of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. Help, we pray. And we give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.